We have two readings today, and the first of those is found in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 11, starting at verse 4. This is what the Lord my God says. Pasture the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will hand everyone over to his neighbour and his king. They will oppress the land and I will not rescue them from their hands. So I pastured the flock, marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favour and the other union. And I pastured the flock. In one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. The flock detested me, and I grew weary of them, and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die, and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff, called favour, and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day. And so the afflicted of the flock who were watching me knew it was the words of the Lord. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. We flip over the page, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him, and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. 
They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the thirty silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. This is God's word. Let me do this in prayer. Father, this is a sad story or collection of stories at this part, full of pride, full of pathos. Help us to understand it, we pray. Help us to understand why Matthew's put it here, why you have put it here, so that we respond rightly and bring Jesus our need. We ask it in his great name. Amen. Now, years ago, it wasn't, uh, I guess, too long into uh, married life. Um, we didn't have much savings as a couple, my wife and I, and, uh, but we, we went for it. We, rather than just uh, buying a clapped-out succession of bangers, and we, just, we bought a car, and basically a new car. And we were very excited about this. It worked. It's great when cars work, and you don't have to sort of take them to the garage every couple of months. We were very excited about this. I went to visit my parents. Look, mm, new car, hey? Mm, hasn't your son? Your son is, is big now. Look, look what I've achieved. You know, in-laws, look, look what I've got your daughter. Mmm, <laughs> provider. Um, and I uh, was very pleased about this. And, you know, it's nice having a car that functions well. Uh, and then about three weeks after we'd bought this car, uh, we had a flood in our flat. caused dreadful damage. Insurance covered much, but not all. We had a bill for about £5,000. We still had to pay. And we couldn't pay. And so I had to go to my father-in-law and say can you help please and that was less enjoyable because we were doing well you know we were standing on our own two feet and we were grown up and everything's you know look at us we were, you know child mm, look impressive everything going well oh um look we went for it on the car not much left in the bank can you help please. No, they were terrific. They couldn't have made life easier. There was no, well, <laughs> no, uh, no sort of uh, looking down the nose, well, you know, you are a bit, no, just very kind. Okay, what's happened? No, we can help out. Prob- no problem. When you, whenever you can, pay us back. Very kind, very generous. They made it as easy as possible. But to be honest, who doesn't hate asking for help? And uh, particularly when it makes you sort of feel a little bit small and you go from being a, whatever, a 30-year-old to a 10-year-old in the space of, you know, no one likes that. No one likes asking for help. I thought I was a bit too grown up for help. And in this account, as I say, it's full of sadness, really. Peter thought he was too grown up for help. Peter thinks, I'm a mature, impressive disciple of Jesus Christ. 
I don't want to ask for help. But the fact that he's forced to do so, it's deeply humbling. But in the end, he does know that he needs help in this life, this Christian life. As I say, about a month or so, we've been in Matthew 26 to 28, these last, the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, and actually, in this section, it's kind of obvious, really, you've got Peter and Judas. Everyone has been failing. Everyone has been failing. In theory, Jesus is on trial. But in fact, everyone else, we had the, uh, the religious authorities, the political authorities that are to come. Everyone is failing all around him. And here you see Peter and Judas fail. And this is not really the most obvious thing to look at on a baptism, apart from it is Palm Sunday, so it kind of is obvious at the same time. And yet there is something very helpful because it asks us, what does it take to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or we could sharpen it, I guess, a little bit this morning. What is it that Gabby, Milan, needs to bring to Jesus to be a disciple of his? Commitment, time, money, skills, well, maybe in part. But fundamentally, she will need to bring him her need. We don't like asking for help. But that is the first and foremost mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Help. In many ways, it's a contrast between uh, Peter and Judas. Uh, We'll get to that uh, a little later on. But that's how we'll look at it. There's sort of three people we need to look at. Peter, Peter, Judas, uh, and then the priests. So let's look at it this way. Peter brings tears to Jesus. Judas kept despair. The priests offer nothing. Okay, that's how we work it through. Peter brings his tears. Judas keeps his despair. The priests offer nothing. At all. Let's work it through that. Let's work through it. First, then, Peter. Peter brought his tears. Now, when you work your way through Matthew's gospel, Peter is the action man. He's always impressive, uh, always uh, the first amongst the disciples. That's what he's named, first among the disciples. Uh, And he's the first one back in chapter 16 to say, Hey, Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. Got it. And Jesus says, You're quite right. And Peter, upon you, Peter, you are the rock. I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. You are the foundation of the church. Yeah, yes I am. That's who I am. I am Peter. And so we had read, uh, we looked at it a few weeks ago in detail, but uh, back in at the beginning of chapter 26, Jesus predicting, uh, chapter 26, verse 33, look, you're all going to fall away. You're all useless, really. None of you will stand by me. And Peter says, well, let me tell you, Those losers may let you down, but I am Peter, remember, the rock, and I will not let you down. Yeah, you will. I will not. Okay, very good, Peter. So that's how Peter, that's Peter, that's how we've met him so far. And so there's a supreme irony here in this section. No one protested loyalty more insistently Yet no one denied Jesus more consistently. Peter is the most insistent, I'm loyal, but the most consistent in denying him. That's very sad. Let's look at Peter then. I just want to highlight three little things. Um, First, the chat about Peter, Uh, Peter who brings his tears. The challenge can be in the trivial sometimes. 
So uh, verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Now, if you were here last time in the Garden of Gethsemane, a bunch of soldiers comes with their swords drawn to capture Jesus. Peter is there with his sword and uh, willing to attack. I mean, he's, he's good on the grand gesture, is Peter. But here, one servant girl, and he folds. But sad. I don't know if that's... I don't want to get told off for this. I don't know if that's a particularly male thing. We're quite good at the dramatic gestures. Yeah, I'll go over the top. Yeah, I'll fight for you. Are you a Christian? <laughs> We're quite good at the grand gestures, but the small, in one sense, the, the, the trivial, well, we don't want to look silly in front of another person. Particularly, don't want to look silly in front of a girl. Uh, that may be particularly male, but I think it's human nature as well. Oh, we can galvanize, galvanize ourselves for the big battle, but the sort of day-to-day, hey, would you call yourself a Christian? Wow. <laughs> um, don't want to make a fuss about such things. I don't know. There's a, there's a challenge here to be faithful in the trivial encounter, perhaps. But look how Peter's denial, second little thing, look how the denial escalates as it goes on. So verse uh, 71, uh, then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it with an oath. I don't know the bad, he says. So his answers get a bit more um, blunt, don't they? Verse 70, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. That's, a, that's the politician's answer. You know Jesus, don't you? Well, anyway, the weather is wonderful. It's a, it's a wheezing answer. He's just avoiding the question, doesn't answer it at all. But here he's just a bit more blunt, isn't he? Verse 72, I don't know the man. to a group of people now and then verse 73 uh, he gets even blunter after a little while those standing there went up to Peter and said this is a crowd now surely you're one of them for your accent gives you away it's very normal isn't it the snobs in the capital city say you're not around here are you from the north um, you're from Galilee or something like that and he says uh, I don't know he says something like oh, why iPads not from you know what you're talking about I'm a Londoner me uh, I've never been to you know never been to Newcastle that sort of thing and uh, they say no there's something about your accent you're, you're from Galilee in the north aren't you it's like the, uh, the, the, well and he gets upset and so he calls down curses on himself verse 74 See how he moves, this evasion, well, I don't know what you're talking about, uh, an oath to curse, he's sort of digging himself in. Well, it's why faithfulness in the small things matters. We can entrench ourselves in patterns of deceit. That's going on. So look, uh, the, uh, the challenge can be in the trivial. Denials can escalate, but I guess you've got to know when it comes to Peter, the third little thing about him, he does get restored Look at all the details here, but verse 75. Well, immediately a cock crowed, verse 75. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Jesus remembers God's word and it convicts him. We're not told the details, but of course, uh, what's the word he remembers? Well, At the beginning of chapter 26, the word he's remembering, verse 31, of Jesus, 
I will strike the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will be scattered. God will strike me, the shepherd, says Jesus. You lot will be scattered. But, verse 32, I've risen. I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Told explicitly here how much Peter remembers. But if he's remembering that encounter, he'll remember, Peter, you will fail, but I will not. I will rise. I will be killed for your sins. I will rise again, Peter. I don't know how much of that he remembers at this moment in time. But the next time we see Peter, well, he's with the other disciples, receiving Jesus' commission to go into the world and, and make disciples fully restored, fully forgiven. But here, what does Peter have to offer? What does Peter bring to Jesus, his tears? That's it. He brings his hopelessness to Jesus. Of course, there is a sense, it's very amazing we even have this story. Uh, Everyone agrees on this pretty much. How how does this story make it into the scriptures at this point? Uh, Peter passed it on to Mark and then to Matthew. And Peter has told this story about himself. It's an amazing thing, I think. Imagine, I watched a little bit of, um, I don't often see it, but a little bit of uh, Jonathan Ross last night chat show. Uh, it's very good at, you know, um, uh, at getting people to tell their stories and witty anecdotes, etc., etc. Um, but imagine you could have Peter on the couch, uh, not the psychiatrist's couch, you know, the, the, the interview couch. And um, I won't do accents again. I always offend people with accents. But anyway, Peter. Peter, tell us about yourself there. What, what happened? That Well... I had to say, I thought I was a pretty impressive disciple. They called me the rock, you know. Rocky Balboa, that's after me. Uh, that's where that name comes from. I was the rock, the original rock. And I said to Jesus, I'll never fail you. I'll fight for you. But actually, I got it slightly wrong. Yet Jesus says, Peter, I'll build my church upon you, who was the first to really register their need of me. I failed Jesus that night. And anyone who knows they're a moral failure before God can join this church of which I'm the rock. Not because you're impressive and can fight for Jesus. You don't bring to Jesus your credentials, your skills, your ability, your money, your time. You bring him your need. Help. You bring him your tears. I can't earn a place before God. So please, Peter would say to you and me, don't make the same mistake in 21st century London. Don't say, Jesus will accept me because I've paid my taxes and given to charity. Don't say, Jesus will accept me because I've done a good job of raising my family. Don't say, Jesus will accept me because I regularly attend church. Say, Jesus will accept me because I've brought him my need. I am faithless. He is faithful. And my hope is in him, Peter would say. So this sad account of his failure, well, it works in two ways, does it? To, to those who think they're fine and don't need Jesus, or, or even to Christians who are very confident in their patterns of lifestyle, it says, watch out, take caution, don't rely on yourself. 
But to those who have fallen, it encourages you, me, to trust in Jesus' obedience and be forgiven. Just before this incident, Jesus is faithful in the courtroom. Peter fails in the courtyard because we're meant to look to him, not to ourselves, to Christ. Peter brings his tears to Jesus. The contrast is that Judas kept his despair. Judas kept his despair. So we get to 27 verses 1 and 2. Just a very brief comment. Don't forget the main man. Uh, 27 verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Jesus, silent. He's the silent savior at this part. Everyone else fails. He's silently obeying. But then you get Judas. Now, Judas gets a lot right. You've got to notice that. It's important to notice that. Let me read verse 3. When Judas, who'd betrayed him, Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, returned the 30 silver coins that he'd got paid for gobbing Jesus in, returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Judas gets a lot right. You see, he's filled with remorse, we're told. He confesses, I have sinned. And he returns the ill-gotten money. See, there's, there's remorse doesn't blame anyone else and his remorse is demonstrated in his actions there's a lot there which is commendable he doesn't do the superficial thing that most people do which is uh, I'm sorry but most common thing look I shouldn't have said that but you drove me to it I shouldn't have embezzled that money padded that expenses but it was just a bad month we shouldn't have I shouldn't have slept with that woman but we're in love so it's okay you know, but is never repentance. He doesn't do that. He's just filled with remorse, goes through it all. So what does he get wrong? Because it ends so badly. What does he get wrong? He doesn't turn to God. He doesn't turn to Jesus. He keeps hold of his despair doesn't repent so you don't obviously people know you all know this you don't have to be a christian to be filled with remorse when you screw up that's just human nature when you screw up and people know it and people see it your ego suffers there are consequences everyone is filled with remorse when they screw up and it's made public big deal Good, I guess, better than not. But you've got to be a Christian to go to Jesus for forgiveness. To take that to him. Judas thinks in a sort of horizontal way. What do people think? How can I make reparation? I've got to go to the priests. Can I do anything to save Jesus at this point? Those are all good things. But he never engages horizontally. Never calls out to God. 
Verse 3, we're told Judas was seized with remorse. It's unusual that Peter would use, excuse me, that Matthew uses that word in his gospel. He doesn't use the word repent that he normally would. And I'm absolutely sure we're meant to see the contrast between Peter and Judas. So verse 75, chapter 26, Peter, it's the same verb gets used of both of them. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Judas, chapter 27, verse 5, went out and hanged himself. Precisely the same verb, just gets translated slightly differently. Peter goes out and weeps. Judas goes out and hangs himself. Matthew has distorted the chronology, of course. All this stuff, it's happened so quickly in chapter 27. There's this money, they go out and buy a field. Were the conveyancing teams just fabulous in those days? You think, oh, I want conveyances like this guy. Look, look. They just sort of managed to identify a property and buy a property within a few minutes. I mean, that's amazing. What happened to the months and months of wrangling and getting gazumped? None of that. No, it's not that they're amazing lawyers in those days. This would have taken time. But Matthew has sucked it back from where it happens chronologically to put, the, put it here to say, look at how these two different men re- responded. They both know they've got it wrong. Peter brings his tears to God. And you get to the end of Matthew's gospel, he's restored, forgiven. Judas keeps his despair to himself. Very different. Now, what do you learn from this comparison? There is a huge difference between the, the, so it appears, genuine repentance of Peter, the guilty feelings of Judas. They may look similar. What are the differences? Well, it's very similar if you were here for regular church family members back in January 2 Corinthians 7 Paul put it this way verse 10 godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death there's a godly grief that is repentance and there's a worldly grief which is just regret at what's taken place there's a difference What does that difference look like? Well, here's a few ideas. Judas thinks, I can't forgive myself. And so hangs himself. Peter thinks, Jesus can forgive me. So goes on. Judas is deeply concerned about what men think and women. Peter's primarily concerned about what God thinks. It is repentance. Peter is concerned just with the world, the consequences of his sin. Can I deal with that? Which is important. But Peter seems just to hate the sin itself, not just its consequences. There's a difference between the two. Look, question sometimes people ask question should, um, I'm a Christian. Should I feel guilty? Yes. When you're guilty, yes, you should. But when you've run to the cross, no. You see, this is very important to get that right. If you've done something wrong, yeah, feel guilty. You've stolen money at work, yeah, feel bad about it. You've been really rude to someone, yeah, feel guilty. You are guilty. But you go to the cross for forgiveness and know it's dealt with. See, it's so important to get that right. Some people run from their guilt to the cross too quickly. Oh, look, there it is. I've, 
you know, destroyed another person's reputation with my uh, anger and lies. But it's all right because I'm forgiven, so don't worry about it. And they never change. Some people just wallow in their guilt and never go to the cross. Oh, I'm just such, I'm so terrible. Oh, I'm so terrible. Oh, I'll never change. No, you won't. You need both. You confess your guilt properly, seriously. Then you run to the cross. You've got to have both in the Christian life. I get confused about that sometimes. Yeah, that's why we need one another to talk it through. We can confuse ourselves. But the fundamental contrast here, Peter brought his tears to the Lord. Judas kept his despair to himself. Bring Jesus your need. Lastly, briefly, because they're just so useless, the priests offer moralism. Rubbish they are. Let's back up a little bit. Uh, verse 4. I've sinned, said Judas, for I've been betrayed, I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. Brilliant. Please don't ever be like that. <laughs> I, I've got things wrong. I've sinned. Yeah, you have. You handle it. That's what they say. Yeah, you have. Now you've got to deal with it. It's all you. Don't, what, when someone is crushed and knows they've done wrong, what you don't want to say to them is you. What you do want to say to them is Jesus. Judas is a man who, he needs to be pointed to Jesus. He isn't. So he despairs. Tragic. The priests just offer him moralism. Yeah, you've bogged up. Do better. Sort it out. He can't handle that. He needs to be taken to Jesus. You can be forgiven. You can go again, Judas. These details, they're not allowed to use blood money in the temple, so they have to go and buy a field. Uh, Matthew again says, well, this is just fulfilling the prophets, isn't it? There's a combination of Jeremiah 19, Zechariah 11. It's called, it's one long quote sort of bumped together. You'd refer to it as Jeremiah. He's just the longer, more important prophet. But um, that's why I read, uh, we had read earlier, Jeremiah, excuse me, Zechariah chapter 11. Very striking when the Lord in Zechariah's time speaks of the priests. Do you remember Nathan's reading? God says, their own shepherds, the priests, have no pity on them. They do not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy. And Matthew says, yes, yeah, just what's going on here. Just what's going on here. Judas says, you know what, I've got this really wrong. And they say, yep. Your problem. He desperately needed to be told, go to Jesus. Take your need to him. So in contrast to them, of course, these useless shepherds, there's the silent one, Jesus, saying nothing at this point, but dying for the sins of Peter, for the sins of you and me. Jesus, the shepherd who shows compassion for other people, we turn to him and say, Jesus, I've sinned. The priest says, yeah, you have. Go away. That's your problem. Jesus says, yes, I know, and I'll make it my problem. I'll take it upon me. That's the sort of shepherd you want. You know, it's often said, uh, if, 
Absolutely the old cliche in the First World War that uh, the soldiers were lions led by donkeys. It's, it's, it's an unfair caricature, really. Some truth to it, but as it you know, gets exaggerated. But uh, lions led by donkeys, the leadership so incompetent they didn't care for the man. You can read of wonderful exceptions to that. Brigadier General Roland Bradford was the youngest general to serve in the war. He was 25 when he was made a general. I don't understand that, uh, but I guess in war lots of men die and you get promoted quickly. But age 25, Roland Bradford was the youngest general to serve in the war and awarded the, awarded the victorious, Victoria Cross on September the 15th, 1916. I know you can read of it, uh, in such things. Uh, the, the whole, um, uh, the right flank of the British army was collapsing. They're coming, uh, the troops, Germans are pouring round and machine gun fire and they're just being completely mown down. And the citation reads, in 1916, by his, I won't do a 1916 verse accent either, but by his fearless energy under fire of all description and his skillful leadership of two battalions, regardless of all danger to his own life, he succeeded in rallying the attack, captured and defended the objectives, and so secured the flank by his own personal endeavour. Huzzah. Um, it doesn't actually say that. Huzzah. <laughs> He's a Christian man. What it's worth. Not a donkey failing to lead his men. Not saying, well, you've got a problem. That's your problem. But one who would say, it's my problem. And I'll lead you through it. That's the sort of shepherd you need. It's very sad, this story. What are you meant to bring to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Peter brings his need. Peter brings his tears. I need help, Jesus. Judas held on. Held on to his despair and therefore died in his despair. The priests, they got nothing to offer but moralism. Do better. Off you go. Tralala. Jesus says, I'll take your burden. I'll take your guilt. Bring me your need. The thing you need to do to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to bring him your need. Help. We don't like it. Don't like having to ask for help. But it's the fundamental action of a disciple. Let me do this in prayer. Father, we want to be impressive. We want to be those who are known as metaphorically drawing our sword and leading the charge and fighting dramatically and winning plaudits. We want to be impressive. Not that we draw our swords in the 21st century. We make money. We build big houses. We want to be impressive people. And yet here Peter shows us that the most important thing to be a disciple of Jesus is to say, I can't, I've failed, and I need you. Father, would we bring our guilt, our need to Jesus, not hold on to it in despair, but bring it to him, knowing that he is one who loves to save, who loves to be generous, who loves to meet our need, and very wonderfully does so. Will we bring our need to him, we ask, in his great name. Amen.